Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. As always, we want to hear from you. Every guest on this show is nominated by our listeners, so shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu and tell us about a teacher in your life who's inspired you and we should talk to. Our guest today is one of those teachers, Mike McHale. He's a math and physics teacher at Byron High School and professor at Rockford University. We talked about the dizzying experience of teaching students remotely and in person at the same time. We're flying down this hill. Uh, Things are going every direction. We've got a sanitized desk. I have to make sure 10 different things at once are happening. But everything's fine. Um, yes. And, but like it, trying to keep that positive mental attitude. He's also a cross-country coach. And we talked about running. We talked about music and the potential closing of the Byron nuclear plant and how that could impact his school and his community. Needless to say, we covered a lot of ground and you were not going to want to miss it. Mike, as I mentioned, is a cross-country coach, and cross-country was one of the few high school sports to have a semi-normal season this fall. And I talked to the Winnebago girls cross-country team and their coaches about what the COVID season was like for them. For the first time in over 20 years, coaches Janet and Joe Herb were nowhere to be seen at their Winnebago girls team's regional meet. Then again, some of their runners weren't there either. Just days before regionals, members of the team and coaching staff came in close contact with someone who had tested positive for COVID-19. Although protocols had been in place, races were smaller, and their season schedule had been altered, this was the first time the virus directly impacted the team, Janet Erb said. Thank goodness none of us actually ever had any symptoms. The Erbs have two daughters on the team who also had to quarantine, and Joe said they had to find a way to watch the race from home. We had um, one of our runners, uh, her parents, put on had Facebook Live, and so the uh, younger sister, who happens to be one of my students, was recording for us. It was regionals, and three of their top five runners were in quarantine. That means runners who wouldn't have raced got thrust into a crucial spot with the season in the balance. Sophia Martino is a junior on the team. She's normally the seventh runner, but had to move into a faster flight. Plus, she'd spent the whole year rehabbing from a dislocated kneecap, which had already slowed her down. It was very weird, and I was a lot more responsibility. I had to step up from being the seventh runner to being the fourth runner. Joe said seniors who thought their career was over got one last chance to run. Our ninth girl was a freshman. She was 16th in the regional. And, you know, she hasn't gotten to run varsity all year because, you know, she's got these other teammates. And I kept telling her, listen, you're a varsity runner. And the Winnebago girls still won regionals with their senior leader, Natalia Martino, running away with first place. Joe says of all his years as a coach, this is the meet that made him sit back and say, wow. I think the older I get, the more I, I think that these are the types of things that you carry with you in life. Is you know th- Those kids, when, when called upon, stepped up and, and were able to perform well because they prepared well all season. The IHSA canceled the cross-country state tournament. So no matter how fast they were, the Winnebago girls would never have a shot to repeat as state champions. But they still had sectionals, the final official race of the year, to defend their title. And with all their runners back from quarantine, Janet says they were dominant. We um, actually perfect scored the meet. She says it's rare for a team to get a perfect score in any meet, let alone a sectional. The three top five girls got out of quarantine that morning and all finished in the top ten. They had six girls awarded all sectional. Sophia Martino said it felt different this year. Sectionals was obviously a bigger deal than last year, but it also felt really weird. And she says the staggered flighted races 
in place because of COVID-19 to avoid packs of runners racing shoulder to shoulder felt almost lonely at times. She often found herself running a race with maybe one teammate, but sometimes by herself. With no one to race against, the mental side of running is even more vital. Even though sectionals were the last official IHSA race, the Shazam Racing Company invited top teams to participate in its version of a state meet. Overall, Janet says she was constantly impressed by the composure her team showed in an unprecedented season no one was sure would even happen, let alone finish. They could have easily been, hey, we should be state champs and we didn't get an official state meet and then, you know, like disappointed the whole time and used excuses, but they just said we're going to make the best of whatever we have. Runners had their track season canceled in the spring, so the phrase run every race like it's your last felt real and urgent in a way it might not have pre-pandemic. Group experiences and camaraderie are tough to come by during COVID-19, so Joe says he thinks the season bonded the team in a special way beyond running. And even though they don't have a trophy to prove it, he's confident they would have been state champs. As Sophia put it, Don't take it for granted because you never know what might happen. You might get injured or you might have a worldwide pandemic. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Rockford University professor and Byron High School math and physics teacher, Mike McHale. Are you guys all remote too? Did you guys just switch to that or are you guys still doing some hybrids? I know a bunch of districts just in the last couple of weeks switched to like through the holidays remote. Right. Uh, we are actually still in person, uh, have been all year. Um, I think we might be the last, uh, the last one in Ogle County hanging in there. I guess, uh, too, and I know this is a very loaded question these days, but how are you? How are you doing pretty good? I, it's, uh, it's tough to, I always have to ask those questions at the beginning of an interview, but it's, it seems like so loaded to be like, oh, how are you? But I, <laughs> I, I'm doing pretty well. Um, those first few weeks of school was just, it was, I don't even know how I can't even put it into words, just how difficult it was to wrap your brain around what we were trying to do with kids in person, remote. I felt very um, overwhelmed and just felt like I wasn't doing anything well. I, I probably still don't feel like I'm doing anything really well, but uh, I, at least I feel a lot more comfortable with what I'm trying to do. And I've kind of been able to recalibrate my expectations of myself and, and what I think we can accomplish in the time we have. And uh, so in that respect, you know, once we got through that first three weeks maybe of, of school, uh, things have become a little bit easier. And I would even say for me personally, the last um, month or so, I've I felt like I've started to kind of hit my stride again. Not that it's anywhere near what it used to be, but uh, at least for what we're trying to do right now. Yes, I was going to say, I was going to ask you a question leading into that and asking you how it's been this fall with a question that's going to seem absurdly random. It's going to seem way out of left field. But Mike, are you familiar with the Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling and Wake competition? I am very familiar with that. And the reason I bring this up, if you're not familiar with it, it is a competition in England where they have a bunch of people at the top of the hill and they throw a wheel of cheese down there and then everyone races down the hill to catch it and just does somersaults and flips down and hurts themselves. I asked that because I was on your Twitter page and I saw a gif that you had tweeted out of these people hurling themselves down this hill trying to chase after this cheese with the caption, me and my friends showing up to teach in person or remote at the same time. <laughs> Are you still feeling like that? <laughs> yeah. Every, every day uh, we feel like that. Um, I think, like I said, we've kind of, or I've kind of at least shifted, and, and I know a lot of educators have, where um, 
the expectation, just that shift in expectation. Yeah, things are we're 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 flying down this hill. Uh, things are going every direction. We've got a sanitized desk. I have to make sure, um, you know, ten different things at once are happening. Um, but everything's fine. Um, yes. And, and, but like it, trying to keep that positive mental attitude. Um, you know, I know it's easy to get down and, and focus on how difficult things are, but um, keeping keep positive and, uh, you know, my colleagues have done a good job. You know, we acknowledge that there's a lot of things going rough, but, uh, but uh, we're having fun. We're chasing the cheese. We're, we're having fun running down that hill. We might have a broken ankle or two, uh, a couple scrapes and bruises and gashes, but uh, we're going to make it. Um, we're making the best of it. We're still chasing the cheese. This is, it's rare <laughs> where we come up with the headline for the episode during the interview, but I think that might be it. <laughs> I mean, and, and you do have some people that are remote at the same time then too? Sure. We've got, we've got a small contingency of kids who just chose to go remote. They're full-time remote for whatever reason. Um, really what we're seeing is large number of kids that have to move in and out of quarantine uh, as expected, close contacts. So uh, our number of kids on remote have, have creeped up uh, recently uh, or, you know, a kid that does end up, uh, you know, testing positive. Um, so, you know, a lot of my classes, um, you know, I'll have probably a pocket of, of uh, four to five kids at most. Some of my other colleagues' classes have more kids remote. Um, some of them have almost half of their kids remote. But the way my classes have kind of shook out, uh, four or five kids at most. Some kids, uh, I've had no nobody remote or just one or two here or there. So. Oh, really? Have you had to teach in quarantine yet? Have you had to handle that? I had to do it one day. Uh, my my wife uh, came down with a cold. She also teaches here, um, and we obviously she had to go get tested, and we had to wait for the negative uh, results. She was pretty sure it was a cold, uh, and sure enough, it came back negative. And I was uh, I, I I disliked the first three hours of the day. That as soon as she got her negative test, I came in for fourth hour uh, just to just to kind of be, be, it was so much easier just to be here. Yeah. Nice not to have that looming. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I know. And it's, I know that there's a lot of districts that are having staffing problems because of that. And because some people, teachers having to quarantine, students having to quarantine, all that. And there's been like, you know, you have your teacher zooming in or Google meetsing into the classroom while the kids are still there. And like, do we need to have another staff member in the classroom? Do we need to have like some cafeteria or some bus staff or anyone that can do it to help out? And so it's, it can be, I'm sure a mess sometimes, but everyone's doing what they can to try to get it figured out. Absolutely. I think that's our biggest worry is, uh, is the staffing issue. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, as long as we can keep the, our school staffed and, and feel that um, we're not contributing to the spread to a, to a great extent, um, they're going to try to keep us keep us here and in person face to face. Yeah. Do you feel like the kids at this point, do you think the students are, are they pretty much used to the situation now or at least way, way more than they were at the beginning of the term? Or does it feel like there's still more burnout than usual trying to get accustomed to it? I think they're, they're getting used to it. Um, I think the masks were a big thing um, early on, just, just the physical nature, the barrier, the, the, uh, you know, you couldn't read expressions, you couldn't uh, pick up on nonverbal cues. Um, 
that was just difficult across the board for kids, for, for teachers. Um, and I think that's gotten a lot better. Uh, I think a lot of kids are, um, more comfortable. Teachers are more comfortable. Um, and it's just kind of the reality of the situation now, just making the best of it. Yeah. And you're teaching physics and math in Byron. Correct. Trying to get through those barriers and find creative ways to do what you need to do. Like you said, with the masks, with the distancing, with probably not being able to be as literally hands-on with some of the physics stuff as you normally could. Have there been, uh, what have been the ways that you've been trying to, like I said, kind of keep creative, try to figure out ways to do this within the constraints that we're under? That's been the biggest thing uh, for me is, is um, we do a lot of hands-on, we do a lot of group work, and I like those kids um, to a lot of times be working with different uh different kids. So always mixing those groups up. And that's been the most frustrating thing for me is I feel I uh, lost a little bit of my uh, creativity um, and, and the, the ideas to get those kids there. Um, we've, we've done a few things where uh, we can kind of get, let kids um, do some hands-on stuff, but it has to be really, uh, we have to be really careful, I guess, with, what exactly we can do. Uh, it's been difficult, uh, we really can't set up labs. Um, it's not the same to do a, a virtual lab or show them something on a computer simulation. Um, I can do demos a little bit, but even that, you know, there's only so much, so much there, so. Right, it's like individual lab kits or you have to really make sure everything is super, super sanitized before you pass it around or whatever. And it's, I can imagine, I think that most people would think that perhaps math is something that's a little easily, a little more easily translatable to a kind of distant or remote perspective. But yeah, I think that physics is definitely one of them, which uh, when you can't be physical in the classroom, that's uh, who would have thought it's kind of difficult. Yep. One of the things I, I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, obviously everyone is trying to figure out ways to do what they need to do within the circumstances. And I think that luckily, at some point, some people are stumbling into some silver linings, some things that are like, oh, that actually worked pretty well. And I think that I can actually kind of take this with me post-pandemic, and maybe this works even better. As we're looking to the future, are there any things that from this experience that you think you're going to take with you on? And then what are some of the things that you're seeing as these long-term, that could be seismic shifts to how we do education? I think a couple of the things that that could be good is some of the ways we can deliver resources to kids. You know, some of the, the videos we make, some of the, the resources we're providing for them online might not have happened if we hadn't been sitting here in a pandemic. Uh, and I think some of those will probably carry out and we'll see some remnants of those. But, you know, I certainly don't want to teach that way. I certainly don't want yeah. to, uh, I don't want to be thinking, oh, now we can teach remote so that we'll never have a snow day. We'll never have, uh, you know, a need for, you know, I mean, there's there's good and bad with with some of those things, but um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, we're we're getting by right now, and uh, a lot of these things are are band aids um, that that will help us get through it, as yeah. opposed to right adopting this long term. When you look at the future, are there things that you think with this experience, like with the grading or something like that, that is just going to have a really huge impact on education going forward because of what we've seen here? I think part of what we've really tried to impart upon our students is especially, you know, 
kids that are remote, we're asking them to do things. We're assessing them on things. And uh, it's not always a fair playing field. For, for example, I've got kids sitting in class taking a quiz. I've got kids at home taking a quiz. And trying to impart the idea that it's not about the grade. It's about the fact that we're learning something here uh, and to take ownership in the fact that you know, they know how to do these things. And it's not just about, you know, oh, I can, I can pull a six out of seven on this particular quiz. It's the fact that I actually know these things. Um, Journey, not the destination type of uh, mindset, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've been in Byron for uh, quite a long time now, right? Yeah, this is uh, 22, I think, 22 years. You know, around the time that you guys started school again this year, around August is when the whole situation with the the nuclear plant, Brian, and all, all those announcements came out about it closing next year. And obviously there's been a whole lot of people that have come out to try and save it. There's been preservation committees, there's been rallies and all sorts of you know things going on to try to help that situation. There's a lot of jobs on the line. I'm curious, as someone that's been in this community for a really long time, have you already been seeing and, and I'm imagining just getting your perspective on on what that's been like going through it as someone that's been in the community for a long time and, you know, in the school for a long time of just what it's been like and what you've been hearing since then. Well, right now, um, I'd say there's a lot of uncertainty um, about the certainty of that. Um, right. And yeah. And with education, too. Right. Like there's a lot of concern about if that were to close next year. That's a lot of the education, you know, a lot of the school's budget that gets tied into those local property taxes and all that thing. So it's really complicated. But yeah, can you talk about what's the community response to it and what you've seen? Right. So um, it's been it's been great to see the community kind of rally around it. Obviously, the nuke plan is a defining characteristic of our community. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people that you teach have parents that work there. I mean, right. well, just going back to my story, uh, that's what brought me here back in 1988. My dad was a nuclear engineer out of the Navy. Um, we moved here from Pennsylvania when he got a job there. Uh, when we went to, we lived in Rockford. I went to high school in Rockford, but still had that connection. And then obviously I got the job here. Um, the nuclear plant has been a huge part of the, the educational uh, community as well here. Uh, so it's a, it's been great to see the community support rallying around it. Um, you know, a lot of times our our uh, school district and nuclear plants seem to be at odds uh, with with uh, you know evaluate plant evaluations and going back and forth. Um, but I feel like right now um, we're we're starting to see uh, a joint effort. Maybe is a, is a better way to say it. Yeah. All hands on deck. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming they don't want to close. Um, I don't obviously know all the ins and outs, but. Um, it's kind of a more of a, maybe a joint effort at this point uh, between communities, the school and the nuclear plant to, to, uh, to keep that plant operating. Yeah. And, and having that connection to it. And also just like being a, a science and being a physics teacher with having that nuclear plant in your backyard, it seems like a unique perspective and kind of a resource in that way over the years, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, well, we usually go over there, um, a field trip in the fall, um, yeah, I mean, I like what a cool physics lab is going on there. Uh, so yeah. that's, you know, I, we take two field trips in the fall. We go to the nuke plant in the spring. We go over to Fermilab in Batavia. So, Yeah, and, and it's just all of this happening like during COVID with the pandemic. It's just like, wow, there is just a lot of the hits just keep coming, right? Yep. Is 2020 over yet? I, oh, 
So they tell me. So so the calendar says. I don't know if I buy it, but <laughs> we're getting there. Shifting gears a little bit from there, when I got the email that was nominating you for to be on the show, one of the things they mentioned was that you were a cross country coach. Yep. And sports has been another thing that has went through huge changes and and during the pandemic, and most sports haven't happened at all. Cross is one of the few ones that had some semblance of a season. And we've, we'll see if I can include it in the episode. We've done a couple stories talking to the, I've talked to the coaches and some of the runners up in, in Winnebago and their cross country team, which is super dominant. And they had a really awesome season. And, you know, that was one of the few ones that had, you know, some kind of semi normalish season. I'm curious how it went for you guys. What was it like? And I'm sure just having group experiences is weird and not something that happens very often during the pandemic. So what was that like? What was the COVID season like? It was great, um, honestly. Um, as far as, you know, I've been doing cross country for 16 years now. Um, and it was one of the more memorable ones for a lot of reasons. And not just the fact that we was through a pandemic, but some of those were byproducts of the pandemic and just the fact that yes, they got to get together. Um, I, f I feel awful for the athletes, the student athletes that weren't able to, to do what they love. Um, yeah. you know, kids, those are the things kids get excited to come to school for. And, uh, I was kind of broke my heart that they weren't able to do it, but we took, we, we literally took every day for what it was worth. And I know it sounds cliche ish, but it, we literally looked at it as a gift to, to get together, to race, to compete. You know, we never focused, uh, you know, as a coach, we didn't talk about COVID a lot. We didn't, I mean, we obviously had to talk about the, just the logistics, right? Yeah. Logistics, you got to wear masks. This is what we got to do it. But you know what? We just showed up and we, we trained and we raced and we honestly never knew if the next day we were going to get told, Hey, you know, your season's over here. So um, it kind of brought a, a little bit of sense of urgency that every time we got to go race, we were going to, we were going to race. Cause sometimes in a cross country season, you know, you're, you're always thinking about the end game. Oh, we got to get to the sectionals. We got to get to the state finals, you know, and that's got to be our peak race. And we really didn't know what was coming around the you know, what was coming around the bend. So just go out and, and you compete. Did you guys have any runners that needed to quarantine or miss races or test positive? Did you guys go through it a lot in that way? Did you guys get impacted? We did. Um, we had, we had a few runners got quarantined um, a couple, several times, never that they actually had uh, COVID. It was always a close contact and, and I felt awful because they, you know, missed, ended up missing three weeks of their season um, chunk of time. Um, so we had a few people that had to move in and out of quarantine. Um, we never had anybody on our team that uh, became positive, which was great because that, that would have really yeah. put a put a halt in the season. So we really dodged a bullet there, which was great. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, people that have listened to the show before, I'm sure, are aware that that I'm a runner. Uh, my family is my dad's a marathoner. My brother's a marathoner. I've done a couple half marathons. You know, give me a couple of years. I'll, I'll get onto the full one. There you but, go. I think that there, there's, and again, I get me waxing poetic about running and I will do it for the next hour if I need to, but there's something about running that is, I think, uniquely cathartic and therapeutic for a really lot of people. And it's one of the few things, at least for me during the pandemic, that really hasn't changed that much, right? Like I can still go outside and do that by myself if I need to. And I'm sure that for a lot of those people on your team, like it kind of does 
it ramps that up even more that this is like the the release they have this is kind of the normalcy and i'm sure for a lot of people this is kind of a therapy right absolutely uh, i've said that since the beginning that um you know lots of people have different passions and hobbies and things and I was lucky enough that that's one of mine. And, you know, obviously my kids on my team and we were able to continue to do it and we're not, everybody's been that lucky. So it's, it's easy to find meaning in that kind of running, right? Again, don't be waxing poetic is <laughs> quoting Steve <laughs> Prefontaine or something over here. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And you are, you're, you've done Ironman races and stuff, correct? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, done triathlons, Ironmans, um, ultra runs, you name it. I've probably done it at some point. Have you gotten the chance to do many this year? I know like my dad, I mentioned is a marathon. He was supposed to run a marathon in, in Hawaii. Like he was supposed to run like a Kauai race and he ended up doing it like doing the kind of digital or virtual race where you just have a lay around your head and he's running around suburban Aurora or something <laughs> like that. It's just a far cry from Kauai, but still it's fun. Have you, have you gotten a chance to race much this year? Not uh, in person. Um, done a few, like you said, of the virtual races. Um, for some reason, I got hooked up into this uh, virtual race across Tennessee. Um, started in the month of April. It's the guy who puts on um, the the Barkley marathons uh, in Tennessee, uh, Laz, and uh, he started this virtual race across Tennessee. Um, and you logged your miles, and you you see you progress across the state of Tennessee. It was it was kind of a fun thing. Did a couple, I did, um, there was a, a hundred mile race that got canceled. So they basically turned it into a hundred mile race. You had to do it in a week Yeah. and, and people could kind of, it was, it was kind of a neat way to, to do uh, a race that big and, and, and open it up to a lot of people that really wouldn't be open to, um, typically. So uh, a couple of those, uh, there was a, a friend in Rockford who put on, um, three virtual races and she raised a bunch of money for different, um, you know, programs in Rockford, uh, which was sort of a great thing. Yeah. I'm guessing the virtual race across Tennessee wasn't quite as uh, hilly <laughs> as it might've been being in Tennessee, but not, as, not at all, but it was, it had quite the following, at least with the people that were doing it. It was, it was a pretty neat thing. That is, that's awesome. Have you done many of the, you know, 100 mile, have you done many of the ultra runs? Um, never anything that long. Um, I've kept mine, um, to, uh, I did, a, I did a, 40 mile run on my 40th birthday. Um, I did, uh, I trained for a couple 50 milers, um, 50 Ks, things like that. Uh, we'll keep it, keep it on the shorter side. I'm fascinated by those ultra runs. You know, the, the kind of race where you need to order a pizza and eat it halfway through the run. Like that's, that's incredible. (laughs) Never eat, never eating a pizza halfway through a run. (laughs) Maybe one day, you know, maybe for your, uh, maybe for your 50th or 60th, you could run the, (laughs) who knows? (laughs) I mentioned that, like my relationship with running and how that's been during the pandemic. And one of the things that we've talked about on this show a lot is, is talking to different musicians and creative people, artists about like how an art teachers, obviously, and how their relationship to their art has changed a lot during the pandemic or if it has at all. One of the things I wanted to bring up to you is um, I saw a, certain Bon Jovi uh, music video that you had a hand in <laughs> earlier in the, in the spring. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the living on a prayer video that you guys did in the spring for, uh, it must've been right after schools closed the first time. Yeah, it sure was. So um, one of the, one of the best parts of working uh, at Byron besides obviously uh, getting 
to uh, work with my wife is uh, is just the camaraderie amongst the, the entire staff. Uh, a lot of really committed people to education and and creating a great atmosphere. And that was kind of part of it. Uh, one of the things we do, there's, there's four of us. We kind of do um, a quasi the old uh, Bears super fan uh, oh, yeah. kind of kind of spoof so we are we're the super fans uh, and of course our hero just like their hero was uh, coach Ditka is, is coach Boyer who we uh, who we love dearly so we kind of had created a, a pretty neat uh, culture of making fun of ourselves but also really highlighting all the great things kids do um, but kind of making it fun and uh, as soon as COVID hit and um, we were out of school it was like how are we going to create keep this connection with our kids and I was literally at school one day it was it was that first week and it was just such an eerie feeling that there was nobody here uh and I felt like I was just kind of walking around looking for for my friends and for my for my students and and they weren't here uh and that's kind of how that all spawned up and shoot out an email and all of a sudden everybody's sending you little clips and then we put it together and just kind of a way to at least feel connections to the kids even though we weren't here Yes. And I'm going to put a link to the, that in the show notes because I think people need to check it out. And also people need to see the like cartoon Google eyes that you had on your beard during the, <laughs> un, again, you have to watch and know what I'm talking about, but I was like, that is, that's fantastic. It's a great. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. And with keeping with music, that is something that, uh, that you do on the side. Have you gotten to play much during the pandemic? Uh, we haven't. Uh, so I play with my good friend uh, who also teaches here, Adam Gura, and uh, we were kind of an acoustic duo and uh, we haven't had a gig in about a year. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd really put the kibosh on that. Um, he coaches uh, swimming in the fall. So usually fall is really busy time for us coaching. And then for whatever reason, uh, last winter, we just um, we were just super busy. I uh, didn't have a gig. And then as soon as uh, spring hit, uh, nothing was going. There was no uh, no bars having live music. And that's just kind of the way it's been. So more of acoustic kind of folk rock. What kind of what kind of music are we talking? Um, you know, um, we play we're pretty much a cover band. Uh, we don't have we certainly don't have time to write our own music. <laughs> We've got uh, family. You're saying you don't have a, you know, a couple of extra hours laying around. Yeah. And, and we don't have a lot of good ideas, to be honest with you. We just. Uh, so we stick with uh, the people that write good music. Um, we play a lot of uh, like Mumford and Sons, Lumineers, uh, sure. Dave Matthews Band, uh, that kind of stuff. I wouldn't say we're uh, extremely, extremely talented, but we certainly have fun getting together and doing it. And yeah, I saw. I believe the name of the group was, or at least on the Facebook page, was Mike and Adam with Dry White Toast. And I have to ask, that's a Blues Brothers reference, is it not? Absolutely. Yes. Our, uh, oh, see, you're running and the Blues Brothers. You're really speaking my language today, Mike. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin O'Neill, he's, uh, he's a retired uh, Byron teacher. He's our harmonica player. He's our harp player. And uh, he sits in with us most of the time we got a gig. And um, he is, well, I, I don't, he's, he is dry white toast. Um, <laughs> what a compliment. He would, uh, he would agree if he were Love here it. right now. He's a great, he's a great person. Uh, but that just summed him up perfectly. So, uh, and the Blues Brothers, again, always been a longtime favorite one. That was actually, you know, we're getting towards the holidays. For whatever reason, with me and my dad and my brothers, that was always like a Christmas movie to us. I don't know why. I don't know how remotely that's a holiday movie, but it is to me. It's a deeply religious movie. It is. On a mission from God, man. <laughs> 
I'm curious, is there anything going on in education right now, trying to make all this work during the pandemic that you think that more people should be talking about? I certainly, I certainly believe people think and understand the importance of, of the institution of, and, and there's so much more than just learning that goes on at the school building. Uh, and I think people have realized that, especially the people, especially the school districts and the parents and the students who haven't been able to come into schools uh, have realized that there's so much more than, than what's going on. Sure, I might teach a lesson on quadratics. That probably isn't the most important thing we're talking about today. Uh, you know, we're, it's the interaction. It's the, the, the environment of safety that we give them, the environment to, to be risk takers, the environments to uh, attempt high quality tasks that we give them to have discourse over the things we're asking them to do to communicate. Uh, all those things can't be understated. And I think when you go remote, even if you get some kids to engage, you still miss that, that, uh, that interaction that's so important. Yeah. I just talked to a bunch of social school, social workers and counselors today about that, trying to make that happen remotely. And there's a lot of people that are more likely to want to talk to their social worker and, and, you know, try to, it's almost like a uh, hierarchy of needs thing, right? Like they almost need to work out that and try to get that connection before they can even really focus on their classes and focus on the academic part of it. And I know that that's leading to a lot of people really academically struggling because it's like, it's hard to connect to people in your class when you look over and it's this dark faceless uh, kind of squares on a Zoom call, like that's really difficult to do. And those connections are really hard to build. So absolutely. You have to create an environment of academic safety. I know I just mentioned that earlier, but that's that's such a big thing for students to to come into your classroom and know, you know, that it's that it's okay uh, to be a risk taker. And and it kind of sounds cliche ish, but especially you know, with some of the courses I've got, you know, higher level math and, and the physics, they, they've got to be willing to, to take chances. You know, I know the buzzword is, is the growth mindset idea. Um, yeah. I, I, I think of that more as academic safety, I guess, the fact that they can come in and, and do these, these high quality tasks that we're asking them to do and be okay uh, learning from the mistakes along the way. That's one of the big things in the, in the course I teach up at Rockford uh, University is that we focus on those three things of, of building a- academic safety, but bringing high quality tasks in that kids aren't afraid to do, and then uh, being really good at facilitating uh, those, those tasks along the way. Um, those, are the, those are the big three things I try to, to focus on in that methods course, but um, I'd, I'd say those are kind of my lasting impressions on, on the things that I really try to focus on. Yeah. From physics to the pandemic to running to the nuclear plant, so we think we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and I appreciate, I know that you are a busy man. You've got a lot going on, rolling down those hills, chasing those cheese. <laughs> So I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I really appreciate uh, you taking some time to talk, man. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. I love talking about education, so it's been great. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. That's how we get great guests like Mike. Be like Mike. Send them our way. Teachers Lounge at NIU.edu. That's Teachers Lounge at NIU.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, like it, whatever you can do. 
It's the best way that we can find more listeners and more great people like Mike. Thanks, of course, to the Northern Illinois band Kind Doves for the awesome music you hear throughout every episode of Teacher's Lounge. Kind Doves is spelled like sweet and nice birds, K-I-N-D-O-V-E-S. Find more of their music on SoundCloud or their appearance on our own sessions from Studio A, which is hosted by Spencer Tripp, who also made the Teacher's Lounge logo. Shout out to you, Spencer. I have been your host, Peter Mudlin, and we will be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.